Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Appreciate all the work that goes into that. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Read this passage many times. I was reading it this week in my personal devotions, and uh, the Lord gave me a thought I want to share with you this morning, and it goes a little bit along with uh, last week's message, but um, in other respects, it's uh, uh, quite different. So uh, so let's uh, look here. Psalm chapter 2. Why don't you stand with me this morning? We'll read together. Psalm chapter 2, and we'll read the entire psalm. It's not long, 12 verses, and... Uh, I'll read the first verse. You can join with me on the second and so on and so forth. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. I thank you for this time that we can look into your word. And Lord, I pray you would help us to take this psalm this morning to consider the truth that it has for us, to apply it to our hearts, to our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would meet with us. Now, I pray if there's any here today that do not know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And we'll thank you for it, for we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Like many psalms, is a psalm that can be applied uh, to the current time, pretty much at any time in history, as well as sort of a uh, psalm for the end times when the Lord's going to come back and set up his kingdom. But I want us to consider it this morning uh, initially as it relates to government because it addresses governments directly here. And as we said last fall, in our, last fall, last summer, in our study on uh, government on Wednesday nights, we said there is a force to government. Uh, in the, our Bible study, we learned that government is active and not passive. It's not just something we said that sits on the mantle as a decoration. It's not an extension cord that's not plugged in. No, there is power in any government, good, bad, there's power in government. And that powerment has uh, that power has consequences on society and the citizens living in that society. We studied the etymology of the word government. 
We learned that uh, some of the words used to define that that the word uh, mean direction, to steer, to be at the helm of, to guide, direct, to pilot. Uh, James chapter 3, verse number 4, James wrote this. He said, speaking of the tongue, he said, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. He says, Whithersoever the governor listeth. Governor being a word that uh, from which the same root word is the word government. And he said there, the governor steers the ship. Now he's talking in, in James about the tongue and how it's a little member, but it can steer the whole ship. And by the way, it can steer you into shipwreck. Anybody ever done that before with your tongue? Amen. And uh, so it can get you in a lot of trouble real fast. But that word government, it's uh, indicating that it is steering, that it is piling. Now, here's the point. Not only does government have power, government has a direction. Government is going somewhere. And when it comes to the direction of government in the context of this passage, there are only two choices. There's the right direction and the wrong direction. And so looking back here in Psalm chapter 2, the passage begins with a question. It says, why do the heathen rage? Now, the heathen in this case is a reference to the unsaved. And it's not just the unsaved, but as we'll see, it's the unsaved in particular who have a problem with God. It's the unsaved who are upset with God. See, there are unsaved people who believe in God and have a respect for God. I've met folks like that. They're not saved. Maybe they're still trusting in their works. Maybe they're trusting the fact they got baptized. Maybe they're trusting in their church membership, or maybe they're trusting in the fact they took communion. They're trusting in in some good works. They're trusting in the church. And by the way, the Bible says those things will not save us. Man, the only way you're saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He does all the saving all by himself. Those things are good. Those things are fine. But they are not the currency that God accepts for salvation. They cannot pay for your sins. A person who is trusting in those things, any one of those things, all of those things, any part of those things, will spend eternity in hell paying for their own sins. Because they've never placed their faith 100% in the Savior, who is Jesus Christ. And so, uh, but I've met unsaved people who uh, have a respect for God. I've met unsaved people who have a fear of the Lord. Maybe they've just never heard a, you know, a lot of folks have just never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They've just been taught all their lives. If you want, you know, if you want to do well in life, you got to work for it. And if you want to go to heaven, you got to work for it. They've just been taught that. And maybe even their church has taught them that. They've just never been taught that salvation's a free gift that uh, can't be earned, can only be received. They've never been taught that. So it's not that they've rejected the gospel. They've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel to know to receive it. And that's why we need to be diligent in passing out gospel tracts and in talking to folks and in knocking on doors and sharing the gospel because there are folks out there and there are folks in Burlington today who would get saved today 
if they just had a clear presentation of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that's the majority, but I'll promise you this, they are out there today. And they are folks who have a fear of the Lord. But that's not the case with the crowd that Psalm chapter 2 is talking about. And we'll see that as we move along. So it's talking about that word heathens, talking about the unsaved. Now notice what it says next. Why do the heathen rage? That word rage is translated from a Hebrew word, which has a pronunciation very similar to the English, at least in the way it's pronounced uh, when you're reading it uh, in the English language. Ragus is the word. Now, as it's used here in Psalm chapter 2, if you study that word out, that Hebrew word means this, to be in tumult or commotion, to conspire, to plot. It's also worth noting, as I was studying this word, I learned that the English word uh, that it comes, the word rage, like somebody is in a rage, comes from the same root word as the word rabies. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> like when your dog goes mad. Amen. But that's the same root word here. Why do the people, why do the heathen rage? And as I thought about this, I said, I thought to myself, you know, we have seen a lot of raging in our nation in the last few weeks. A lot of tumult and commotion, a lot of conspiring to do damage to lives and to property. You know, Heidi Shared a meme the other day. How many know what a meme is? Do you know what a meme is, Brother John? No. So uh, I'll, I'll let Brother Ramon tell you later. Amen. But I saw a meme, and that meme uh, on, said, said something to uh, this effect. said, due to COVID-19, rioters are being asked to stay at home and destroy their own property. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> So that's, you know, if, if they could do that, uh, do us a favor, amen, so they don't spread the virus, amen. But, uh, but we've seen a lot of raging going on. Why do the heathen rage and the people, notice now, imagine a vain thing? Now that word imagine is translated from the same Hebrew word as the word meditate. Meditate. And if we go back one psalm to Psalm chapter 1, which is a much more familiar psalm to many folks, go back to Psalm chapter 1, and we'll see the use of the word meditate. And look what it says in Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the, notice this, the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. That's the same Hebrew word as the word imagine in chapter 2. Translated differently, but the same word. The saved, now follow me, say, what are you saying? The saved meditate, those who are godly seeking after God, meditate on the law of the Lord, the truth of God's word. While the heathen imagine vain things. In both cases, as is always the case, their actions are the result of their thoughts. Folks, don't ever separate actions from thoughts. 
Before you do anything, you thought about it. Before anybody does anything, they thought about it. Look, folks, talking about riders, those riders that you see, have seen on your television screen, I'm glad it's died down now. But when all that was going on, you know, you know what? They all, before they did that, they had to think about it and they had to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and be part of that. And then they had to think about what they were going to do. That's true, of, that's true of all of us. You know why you're here? You didn't, folks, no one here right now is just opening your eyes and saying, how in the world did I, well, you might be, but how in the world did I get here? How in the world? Man, I, I don't know, last thing I knew, I was in bed sleeping and I woke up and I was at church. No, that's not how it works. You know why you're here this morning? Because you got up and you thought, hey, it's Sunday and I need to be in church. You had that thought. I wish more folks would have that thought. Amen. But you had that thought. And so you planned and you got up and you got ready. And by the way, it wasn't because you didn't have anything else you could do. Amen. You had to make it a priority. And, when, and by the way, let me tell you something. When you're doing, it's always harder to do right than it is to do wrong. Wrong comes naturally. Right, you have to do it on purpose. But you planned. You had thoughts. And uh, you acted on those thoughts. So we see here that the heathen, they have thoughts. They imagine. They focus their attention on vain things. That word vain literally means empty or of no purpose. And we could say of no good purpose. Of nothing that's going to improve things of nothing that's going to build anything no good purpose now notice verse number two the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying now we'll get to what they say here in a moment but first i want us to notice we move from the heathen in general, the unsaved in general, to the leaders of government. Look, folks, God takes notice of what the leaders of government are doing. The kings, the rulers. And by the way, this, you know, much of the Old Testament, when you read about kings, you read about rulers, the context of the text is the, the uh, nation of Israel. But this is not a context that is limited to, and not, not that it doesn't have application to all kings in, in whatever situation, but in this case, the context here is not just the leaders of Israel. The context includes any and all kings and rulers anywhere in the world who have set themselves against the Lord. Now, that word set, as it's used here, means to take a stand against. Take one stand. And then, by the way, it also includes those who take counsel together against the Lord. God the Father and His anointed. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. So these leaders of government here in the passage, joined by the raging heathen, have come together for one purpose, and that is to oppose God. To stand against God. And notice what they say. 
in verse number three, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, here's the question I want us to answer this morning. What are the bands that these godless kings and rulers have taken counsel together, have come together, have become unified? What is it that they have become unified to break? What are the cords that they are casting away? I propose to you this morning, it's the very same thing on which the righteous meditate. It's the law of the Lord. You know what it is that the unsaved who have a problem with God hate more than anything else in the world? It's the law of the Lord. The law of God's Word. They do not want God telling them what to do. They do not want God putting guardrails on the highway of their lives or on the highway of their nations. They do not want God defining good and evil, right and wrong, morality or immorality. They don't, and they certainly don't want to say that there is a power higher than their power. Folks, you know, it's always been the nature of mankind to lift in, in our, in, with our sin nature to lift ourselves up above God. Tear God down. Lift man up. And the fact is, men will come together and nations, it's talked about here, will come together to accomplish this. And now you talk about the end times, you talk about when Antichrist, and this is prophetic of, of, the, of uh, a prophetic passage of the end times. Look, folks, in the end times, the, all the rulers in the world are going to come together with one goal in mind, and that is to stop Jesus from taking his throne in Jerusalem. But it's not going to work. But they're going to come together. Why? They don't want God ruling over them. They don't want God defining their behavior. And folks, that's exactly what the Scripture does. One of the main things, not the only thing the Scripture does, but it teaches us the law of God. It teaches us what is right and what is wrong. Let me ask you a question. Why is it wrong to steal? How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that. That's what's defined that. Why is it wrong to lie? Because the Bible says it's wrong. Why is it wrong to commit adultery? Folks, I'll promise you this. If you didn't have the other two, you might say, well, that just makes sense. But I'll promise you this. If we didn't have the Word of God on it, you wouldn't be able to prove that adultery was wrong. Not to this generation. You still can't prove to this generation it's wrong. And they, you know, and, and, and then you move on to all the sexual immorality, the homosexuality and the lesbianism and now the transgender and all that. And folks are saying, hey, you know what? I think that's okay. Well, you know what? God defined adultery as wrong. He defines that as wrong in the same book. Let me ask you this. How come the same person who believes it's a sin to, com to, uh, to murder and to kill will say that it's okay for two men to get married and have a sexual relationship? Why would you say that 
when the same God who said thou shalt not kill says that two men shall not lie together. Who are you to pick and choose which law you want to obey and which law you don't? Who are you to choose and accuse the God of heaven of being God's right here, but he's wrong over here? You're going to stand in front of God someday and give an account for that. You're talking about God Almighty who created the world. He gave us the law. Folks, we're living in a generation does not want the law of God. They want to dismiss it. We know those things are wrong because God said so in his word. And by the way, it's no different than any other generation, but... People want to do what they want, how they want, when they want to do it. They want to live the way they want to live. And the only law that they want to submit to is the law that they make up. You know which things we want to believe are wrong? The things that we don't do. You know the things we want to say are okay? The things that we're involved in. I mean, if it was just up to us to make up the rules... That's how we do it. So they set themselves against God. As we pointed out last week, when we come now back to our current situation in our nation, they must remove the law of God from the public square. That they've got to, see, they've got to break the bands of God. See, the law is like, uh, and we'll, we'll give some more illustrations here in a moment, but it's like bands. They've got to cast away the cords of God's law like when you tie something down so it doesn't fall off as you're traveling uh, to keep it in place they want to break aside break the cords cast those away of God's law so that listen carefully so that all restraints are removed and they can do as they please Young people, there's a great temptation. You say, hey, I can't wait till I'm 18 and I can move out and I can do as I please. You know what you're saying? I can't wait till I get to the place where I can break the bands and cast away the cords and do my own thing. And by the way, that's, that's human nature. And I thank God for our young people. We've got some great teenagers, and I'm praying for them. But I'm telling you this, the old devil's out there, and he's going he's gonna to start when you become a teenager. It doesn't take very long. In fact, long before that, if you really go back. But the devil comes along and says, hey, I, just wait till you don't have to keep these rules anymore. By the way, this was written by the psalmist. 700 years before Christ was born. That's 2,000 years ago that Christ was born. So this was written 2,700 years ago, and you thought you were the first one who wanted to do your own thing. 2,700 years ago, God called it out. And not much has changed, amen. All restraints, get rid of the restraints of God's law. Now, what is God's response Psalm 2, verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He shall, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. 
So we, there's a lot of prophecy in that passage right there in the end times when Christ is going to return. But even now, look, God is not threatened by man's rebellion. This week, one of the well-known commentators on CNN got up and said that Jesus Christ himself said that he was not perfect. Yeah, check it out. Go on the Internet. That's what he said. CNN. And the other fellow who was listening to him, who is a, uh, another commentator, amen, they're just commentators, folks. They're not special taters, just commentators, amen? They want you to think they're special taters, that their, their, their opinion counts and yours doesn't, but they're just commentators. But another commentator whose brother happens to be the uh, governor of New York, he just agreed with him. He said, right, he said, Jesus himself said that he wasn't perfect. I'm like, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. Some of these same folks, if, if I, in a public meeting, want to pray in Jesus' name, they would scream and holler all day long. But if they want to get on television, national television, and accuse the name of Jesus Christ, falsely accuse Jesus Christ, that's perfectly fine for them to call him out by name. Folks, the Bible... Jesus did not ever say that he was not perfect. And in fact, if Jesus was not perfect, we have no salvation and everything we're doing here today is in vain. But it's interesting to me how these folks want to, when, when the opportunity arises, they want to call out God to justify what they want to do. Accuse God. They set themselves against God. But folks, I'm telling you this, God has his king set against them. As verses 7 through 9 go on to make clear, despite the efforts of the ungodly to destroy God, in the end, God will destroy them. Skip down to verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. God is not intimidated by these attacks from leaders, from the heathen, from the unsaved. God help us that those of us who claim the name of Christ don't get on the same side as the heathen and the unsaved. Amen. Now notice the counsel that's given at the end of the psalm. Verse number 10. Be wise now, therefore. So we've had this whole thing laid out. And now the psalmist, God says to the psalmist, he says, look, be wise now, therefore. Gives him some advice, particularly for the kings. O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. And we're going to see this as good advice for us as well. But notice what he says. Here's my advice. He says, based on what we've covered so far, he says this, serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear. He says, you know what you need to do? Get those bonds and those cords and make sure they're secure. Make sure they're tight. 
make sure you are in submission to them. Serve the Lord with fear. Obey His word. Notice this. And rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. That's kind of an interesting statement. How do you rejoice with trembling? How many here have had the opportunity to drive through the Rocky Mountains? Anybody here ever driven through the Rocky Mountains? All right. Drive up through those Rocky Mountains. And, and even on the interstates, you go through even you go through some areas where, boy, when you're driving along and you look down over the edge and you can't see the bottom. Anybody ever been there? Amen. I remember when we were kids, we went out and uh, we'd take a family vacation in the summertime and we went to Colorado. I think we're in the uh, Vail area. And uh, not that we stayed in Vail. We camped in a, in a pop-up trailer, all right? So uh, we would drive by those places, amen? But we were in that area, and you could rent uh, back then. Now they got these uh, ATVs, but back then they had Jeeps, and they'd rent Jeeps. You could rent a Jeep and go up on the old gold mining trails in the, up into the mountains. And uh, anybody ever done that? We've gone off the, off the road out there in Colorado. Well, you go up those roads, and, there, and by the way, you know, it's an interesting thing. There are old gold mines everywhere once you get up into the mountains. You know, it's one of those things where the first time you see it, you think, oh, wow, look at this. And uh, you get off, and you look, and you can see in. There's, we, we, back then, I don't know if it's still, they're still there now. I'm guessing there are in places. Back there, you'd come across old gold mines, and they still had the tracks going into them. And uh, that, were, that were left there from 100 years before uh, when all the uh, gold diggers were out there trying to find uh, gold. But you'd find one, and the first one you think, oh, wow, man, we really scored. Then you drive in, you know, another half mile, and there's another one, and there's another one, and there's another one, and there's another. They're all over out there. You drive up those trails, and there were no guardrails on those roads. And there were places where you're thinking, you know, of course, back then would be, I think it was, I, I hope it wasn't my brother, my oldest brother who was driving, amen. I forget how old we were at that time. If, we, if it was him, we're probably lucky that I'm here, amen, or at least I'm lucky. I don't know if you're lucky, I'm lucky I'm here, amen. But I'm telling you what, folks, if you took a wrong turn, you weren't coming back from it. Over the edge. But now coming back to that illustration of the highways with the guardrails. You can rejoice with trembling. Amen. You're glad those guardrails are there, and then it crosses your mind. What would it be like? You ever had that thought? I wonder what that would be like. It would not be. Rejoice. Man, thank God they're there. Whew. And by the way, you know when, when, it, when you're driving on those highways, you know the goal isn't to see how close to the guardrail you can get. Amen. Now, maybe for some of you it is, amen, you adventurous ones. But uh, the idea is not, man, I'm going to get over off the main road and onto the edge. I'm going to drive just as close to that guardrail as I can. No, you know why? You say, man, I, I do not want to end up down there. And I am thank God they put a guardrail on this highway. And I don't even want to take a chance of driving through that guardrail. Can I tell you something on a personal level? 
You know what the devil's always wanting us to do? Drive through the guardrail. Man, young people, you know what the devil says? The thrill is in going over the edge. You know how, now I, I did my, my time in theme parks, amen. And I, can prob- I could probably still get on a roller coaster if I had to, depending. Things that go in circles, I never did do well on those, amen. And, uh, but, um, but, you know, the days when I drive by a theme park and say, man, let's go up on that road, those days are long gone, amen. That's not what I live for anymore. But you know what? There is something about that thrill of feeling like you are falling 150 feet, but you're really not. Hey, you are, but, you're, but it's controlled. But you know what? The devil has this old thrill. Get off the main road. Go over the edge. Boy, that's where the thrill is. That's where the, the fun is. But you know what he forgets to tell you? He forgets to tell you about what's waiting for you at the bottom. It's all fun and games till you come to the bottom. Rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. Respect. Rejoice with trembling. Rejoice that God has given us guardrails to keep us from plunging into the abyss. Well, you know, folks, if we didn't have this book to teach us right from wrong and we just had to figure this whole thing out, and, and you know what I've learned, even with the Word of God and just in life in general, I've got to learn things and then I've got to relearn them. You know, when you're young, you think, well, boy, I learned my lesson. When you get to be my age, you realize, you know what, I learned my lesson four times, amen? <laughs> and if I'm not careful, I'm going to have to learn it again. <laughs> You've, uh, you think, I, I don't, you know, this didn't work last time, but I'm sure it will this time. Nope, didn't work this time either, Amen. But, again, when you're young, you think, boy, I can, I can get away with this. It'll work. No, the Bible has given us uh, the truth so that we don't have to learn the hard way. Now, they say that learning the hard way is the best way to learn. One thing's for sure, it does leave a, a better impression in your mind. Amen? And all of us could s- sit here and tell about examples of how we learn the hard way. Amen, Brother Jim? Or you want to learn about riding motorcycles? Talk to Brother Jim. He'll tell you about his motorcycle when he was a kid and how he's lived with that ever ever since. But listen, there's a lot of things we don't have to learn the hard way. You know why? Because God told us in His Word and God put guardrails in there and says, no, 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 you don't want to do that because this is what's going to happen. But you know what? I would say that likely a majority of people today, they never hear the Word of God preached. Majority of teenagers never hear the Word of God preached. They go to a public school that just teaches them, hey, do your own thing. If it feels good, do it. And by the way, let's, let, we'll teach you how you can sin safely. Yeah. There is no such thing as safe sin. And many young people today, they're just out there learning with no guardrails, going off the edge, coming down. Sometimes they, they, may, they crawl back up. Sometimes they don't. Tragic story of a young person in his 20s down here in 
Weaver in the paper this week. In fact, I heard about it first up in Des Moines. Four young people in a car. All they've said so far, high rate of speed. Lost control of the car in the middle of the night. Wrapped themselves around a tree. Four 20-year-olds. One of them lived down here in Weaver. Dead and gone. You know, it's all, folks, I'm telling you that. I don't, know the, I don't know the whole story. I don't know if alcohol was involved. I don't know if drugs were involved. It would not surprise me to find out that it was. And it's tragic. So when you have a pastor who stands here and says, look, don't touch alcohol. Stay away from the crowd that's doing the drugs. Don't even run with that crowd. You know what I'm doing? I'm giving you what the Scripture teaches us so that you don't have to learn the hard way. This book puts guardrails on our lives. Now look at verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and ye perish, notice that, from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Kiss the son. Now that kiss that it's talking about there is not a kiss of affection. That is a kiss, and now that's kind of when we think of kiss, that's what we generally think of. But that's not the kind of kiss it's talking about. It's talking primarily about a kiss of submission. Maybe you've read about, maybe you've heard, you know, it's a day when if you wanted to come in to see the king in some countries where you had to come in and you would kiss the king's ring. You weren't doing that because you loved the king. You were doing that because you loved life, amen, <laughs> and you didn't want your head lobbed off. And so the very first thing you would come in, you would come in and you would kneel down, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying it was a, it was a tradition in times past. You, they would kneel down and they would kiss the ring of the king to show that they were in subjection to the king, to say, king, you are the one on the throne, not me. King, I will do what you say, not what I want to do. I am in subjection to you. Kiss the son. Who's the son? That's Jesus Christ. This is the kiss that acknowledges that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. It is the kiss that bears witness that we will submit to the bands and cords of God's law. It's the kiss that says, Lord, you put your law there for a purpose. I will submit to it. Kiss the sun. Which brings me to the last point. What is good for kings and rulers. By the way, they're the ones being told to kiss the sun. Can I tell you this? No ruler is above God. Can I tell you this? Talked about judges a little bit before. Well, the Supreme Court said that homosexual marriage is okay. You know what the problem with the Supreme Court is? They didn't kiss the son of God. They forgot to look at the law book. By the way, the Ten Commandments are in the U.S., listed in the U.S. Supreme Court chamber. They forgot to open their eyes and look at them, amen? It's one place they haven't taken them out of yet. 
But I'll tell you what, you look at some of their rulings, and they might as well be gone. But you say, well, the Supreme Court said, can I tell you something? The Supreme Judge of all the earth said it's wrong. Kiss the sun, it says to the judges. Kiss the sun, it says to the rulers. Kiss the sun, it says to the kings. But what is good for kings and rulers is good for each one of us. You know, the most basic form of government is self-government. Self-government. That's me controlling myself. That's you controlling yourself. It's a funny thing. Sometimes, well, I'm just not happy with our government. Well, how's your own personal government doing? Amen. Let's start at home. By the way, fathers, your home, you, have, you, are, you are to govern your home. You know, it's an amazing thing. We want everybody else to govern correctly, but we can't govern our own lives correctly. We want the city to be run right. We want the state to be run right. We want the nation to be run right, but we can't even run our own homes. You know, folks, we are a nation of self-government, right? But think about this. I think I heard this somewhere. I've used it numerous times. But think about this. People who cannot govern themselves cannot govern themselves. You know one of our problems in a nation today? We are moving more and more towards a nation of people who cannot govern, cannot control themselves. And you know what that means? You are opening the door for big government to come in and take over. Because you demand it. Look, if everybody's just going to go down the street burning everything, you got to say, hey, you know what? We got to have martial law. And you know the proof, and I'm out of time this morning, but you know the proof that we are losing our ability to govern ourselves. Look around you someday as you go, try to count the number of video cameras that are watching you as you move through your day. We would probably be shocked. You know, if you just go on a normal routine through, I have no idea what the number is, but I would not be surprised to know that in a normal day, 100 cameras captured my movements around town. As you walk through Walmart, you probably are on 30 different cameras at some point or another from the time you drive in the parking lot. Just look, you ever look at the top of Walmart's building? Forty years ago, you would have thought that was a state penitentiary you were coming up to. Amen. Man, there's just cameras everywhere. Go to the bank. Go to, you ever walk in a convenience store and count the number of cameras? Now, why is it we have to have all those cameras? Folks, I'm telling you, because we are living in a generation that cannot govern themselves unless they know somebody else is watching them. But you know what? There's a God in heaven who's watching every one of us. Most basic form of government is self-government. We must personally submit to the bands and cords of the word of God. Just like you're supposed to get in the car and put your seatbelt on, we need to put on the seatbelt of God's word every single day. If the Bible says not to do it, then we must avoid it at all costs. If the Bible says to do it, then we need to do it. 
We must personally serve the Lord and rejoice with trembling. Stay on the highway of holiness and thank God for the guardrails that keep you from joining those who have plunged into the abyss. Boy, last night I was on my way home, and it's not far from my house, from here to my house. It was probably around, it's after 9 o'clock, and I'm on my way home, and get up on, uh, oh, a Marshall, South Marshall. And I had driver turn around, turn the corner there and get on South Marshall for 500 feet. Right there, here comes, here comes an old fellow down the, poor old guy walking down the street, drunk as a skunk. Now, he wasn't stone drunk, because skunks aren't strong, stone drunk, amen, they're just drunk. But <laughs> I don't know how that, where'd that term come from, amen? But, uh, but he's, he's just, you know, staggering. So I turned around, I went back, and I thought, you know, the Poor fellow, he's going to get hit in the dark and nothing else. So I pulled up and said, hey, can I help you? And, you know, I'm just heading home. And I said, well, hey, you need a ride? He said, yeah. And he was at least cognizant enough to give me an address. And so he got in, and I took him home, had a can of beer, had an open can of beer in his hand. I thought later I probably could have gotten arrested, amen, open container law. <laughs> so I didn't think it never occurred to me. And uh, good night. I could be in the county jail this morning, but, um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, and I, and I didn't, I, I didn't come down on the poor fellas. He's drunk. I took him home. He, he lived on the other side of Harrison Avenue down on South 12th, the other side of Harrison. And the, and, uh, that was a long, that's a long, and I said to my wife, not only was it a long walk, it was going to take him two or three times as long because he was going this way, then this way, then this way. But you know what? You know, and then I'm getting ready to preach this message this morning. You know, I'm so glad that I had somebody years ago get up and preach to me about the truth of alcohol and tell me what it would do to my life so that I could have the opportunity to make the right choices so that I wouldn't have to be like I probably was in his 50s, 60s. Nice guy. Nice fella. I hope to go. I didn't say you witness to him. No, I didn't think there was much point at that point but I, I I know where he lives now I want to go by sometime and hopefully catch him when he's sober and give him the gospel but I'll tell you what that alcohol has destroyed I'll promise you this and when I pulled up in front of the house it wasn't a mansion he's living in I promise you this that alcohol has cost that man a lot serve the Lord rejoice with trembling you know what? You know when you see when you see something like that, it's not funny. It's like, whoa, thank man, I, boy, I need to keep those guardrails in place. I don't want to end up. And by the way, I'm no better. I'm a, just a sinner saved by grace. Amen. No better than anybody else. Finally, we must personally kiss the sun. Personally submit. Say, Lord, you're the one that's going to make the decisions. Your word for my life. I'm going to submit to you. Look at the last sentence in verse 12. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You want to be blessed? Meditate on the word like Psalm 1. Obey it. Put it into practice. Let it become chords that control you, that help you make decisions, that help you determine right and wrong. Let it be the bands that keep you from going over the cliff. Put on your seatbelt. 
and enjoy a life that is blessed by God. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. I thank